Hello, and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon. It's the show about dragons and why the number 19 hits them. I am uh, Mike Daniel, joined as always by my co-host Rob Mackey. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, we're here today to talk about some nerdy stuff, Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs and uh, other nerdy things in general. Um, so uh, I think, Rob, we had uh, mentioned before that we wanted to talk about uh, Session Zero, but never really did that. So um, I, I just want to start by asking you, uh, Session Zero, what do? Ah, Session Zero. So but, uh, here's, here's my thing with Session Zero. At the risk of being overly holistic in terms of things, in the <laughs> okay. fullness of time, since the beginning... <laughs> time was you went to your uh tabletop gaming game and you kind of didn't know what was up and the gm was kind of like they would do whatever their thing was and you went with it and maybe they were kind of a dick and you didn't necessarily know what was going on and but that was part of the like relationship there was a general lack of transparency and it was not always like even sort of kind of a democracy, if that if I may speak in the vaguest and most general of terms. I, I think you're being pretty spot on there with uh, sort of how the relationship between DM and players started off with the game. So, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it was fun and we liked it and we were grateful for it. But also, it doesn't <laughs> have to be this way. I don't know if I said this uh, here in this space uh, during recording or if this was something we were just texting about one time, but I think this seems like it was new to fifth edition to me, but like the idea of a D and D game as a, as a democracy, I think is pretty new. Mm -hmm. Like for sure. I think especially with D and D, there is a history of, the GM as a Gygaxian tyrant, and it's something that the mm -hmm. game is finally starting to unpack and undo, which I think is great. For sure, yeah. I think we've kind of talked about that both in private and uh, on our show here as well, that, you know, there definitely has been this history with D&D specifically where it's uh, sort of an adversarial relationship between uh, the Dungeon Master and the players, um, and yeah, now that we're, uh, in the world that we're in now, it, it, it's that relationship is changing. And just because that's sort of been the way that things, uh, were doesn't mean that's how we need to keep things. Um, exactly. And so it is this impulse to democratization that has given birth to the idea of a session zero for one's campaign something I really hadn't even heard of until probably like a couple years ago, two or three years ago, um, as an mm -hmm. idea. But the idea of a session zero is it's a time for the GM and players to all sit down before the campaign starts 
and just kind of talk through how the GM envisions the campaign going, um, what they expect of the players, what the players expect of the GM, what the players kind of want to do with the campaign, what they want to do with their mm-hmm. characters, and um, it it gets that dialogue kind of going, basically. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a chance for both the players and the DM to kind of come together and talk about what sort of game they're going to play and how that's going to go um, and to set expectations for the relationship of player and DM and player to player, um, as well as, you know, what to kind of expect from the campaign or the story itself, the type of game that you're playing through, um, and also to kind of cover the ways that the dm is going to run things uh throughout the course of the for campaign. sure it dm or gm because this is this is the idea of session zero is something that absolutely applies to every tabletop rpg absolutely so, yeah it's been like and um it's also a good time to think go over house rules i think which we'll get to a bit later um mm-hmm. and things yep. like that and to, just to make those sorts of things more of an open conversation for everybody but yeah, absolutely. So I kind of wanted to start out with um, talking about session zero as a way to go over introductions to beginning players, because if you have beginning mm-hmm. players, this is session zero is very much the time to be doing it. Absolutely. And I was just going to say that also or that applies doubly to if you all are playing like a new system. So let's say you're a group that's played together for a long time, but you're instead of D&D, you're playing, you know, cyberpunk or vampire the masquerade or whatever. And it's new to all of you. This is also a time to introduce not only new players, but players to new rules and new concepts. Absolutely. And it's something that um I've done a couple of times now because I've started a couple of different games with mostly beginning players. And for those of you who have uh, been listening to our show here, first off, thank you. Second off, but you can tell that sometimes my brain tends to get uh, lost in its own labyrinthine crazy, right? So I feel like sometimes I have some real trouble kind of condensing and distilling down the... uh, basics of uh, play for new players in a session zero effectively i kind of devolve into a sort of um gee well last time we did it um so sarah and some of her um family members uh were the players and she was really just bailing me out on this right because i was kind of like oh yes you roll dice and uh, this time you roll the big dice, and then uh, when you do damage, <laughs> you roll the littler dice. And also, you have ability scores. You're gonna want write this down, okay? And then uh, <laughs> you, uh, you have those, and you also have your class features, which we'll get to. And you really want to pick a race first, but actually you want to pick a class first. And so this is something I struggle with, is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, It it can be difficult to sort of uh, streamline everything, especially when talking to people who have never played D&D before, because there is just so much to grasp. grasp. Um, So, yeah, I I think making sure that you are um, 
starting off, you know, kind of small, maybe having a step-by-step plan of how to introduce the game to the new players, um, you know, start with the basics and then kind of build from there. Um, and a lot of this, uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about today does kind of get gone over in our first episode of well, uh, as well of talking to new players um, and uh, just kind of using some of those concepts about, you know, um, how to get started with D&D. Um, so if you haven't already, check that out um, and um, can kind of build on top of those ideas with, you know, some of these session zero tips here for sure. For sure. And uh, I would say really in terms of introducing the, uh, the game to people, really what you want to be telling them as a GM is just whenever you're in doubt, tell me what you want to do and we'll figure out a way to make it work if it's possible and if it's not i'll let you know and we'll go from there if that makes sense for sure um yeah i mean that's kind of the baseline for introducing players to tabletop rpgs in general right is tell me what you want to do and we'll figure out mechanically how to make that happen um yeah for sure i think um this is a tangent but I do think, you know how in the community D&D episode, you know how like Abed does all the dice rolling? That's, mm-hmm. my understanding is that like, that's like the old, that's like the proper old school way to do it. Where, Yeah, I, I think that's like uh, original D&D and um, first edition rules is the DM, um, would make all the roles themselves. I think part of that was probably just because of like access to all of the weird dice that you need for D and D wasn't as prevalent. And uh, nowadays everyone has their own set of gaming dice. So everyone can, uh, you know, make all their own roles. But I, I, I do also see value in like having the DM be the one that makes all of the roles for you as well, especially for new people that might not know, know how the game works and what the mechanics all mean and and do for sure that makes a lot of sense i sort of didn't think of it that way i kind of lumped it into again the sort of like old-timey tyrant gm tradition where it's just like Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. say the thing you say what you want to do and then some shit happens behind a screen and then your gm is like yeah you drop your sword and stab yourself with it and you're like but what the fuck man I do think <laughs> I'm a trained fighter. Why am I dropping yeah, my sword? I, I kind of, um, but yeah. I bring this up because like, I kind of, as much as like, I would never do that. I do think that like communicates the like essence of that, of that um relationship I was saying. Cause ideally it, in its purest mm-hmm. form, it is kind of like the player's telling you what to do and you're the one who adjudicates it. And, that's right, taking yeah, it yeah. a little far, obviously, that it lacks the trans kind of transparency we're talking about as being good, right? <laughs> and also sure. a good way to get like anybody to D- into D&D, honestly, is being like, look at all these weird fucking dice, man. <laughs> Aren't these dice cool? For sure. Like, yeah. Who doesn't r- love rolling a fistful of dice? Yeah, so. who doesn't love rolling a fistful of dice? And then you're just like, all of a sudden you're like collecting dice. You have dice superstitions. You like lean into the gambler's <laughs> fallacy as hard as you possibly can. 
It's great. Yep, for sure. You start developing your own dice jail for when certain dice are rolling poorly. Yeah, I kind of, I try to avoid (laughs) doing dice jail because like you do a dice jail and then, I don't know, I feel I get, my superstition with it is that like the dice need to warm up, right? So if I send a, if I Mm, send mm. my 20 siders, (laughs) well, 20 siders, because now I'm playing fifth edition. So I always have two for when there's advantage and disadvantage. But anyway, right. Like the dice need to be warmed up sufficiently. If I send one of my dice off to dice jail, that means I'm throwing in another one of my 20 siders cold. And that just, Mm. oh man, nothing but bad things happen. Maybe you should. I, I think the way to counter that then is to start like a dice bullpen where you get like your own small dice tower and you just roll <laughs> r- like randomly. Yeah. You don't actually roll for anything. You're just warming the die up until it's rolling hot. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, this is part <laughs> because that's how that works. And it's totally not a random number generator. Yeah, yeah I guess, man. I guess. <laughs> so like two things. I think I don't know what like the intersection of like D nerds and like serious baseball nerds is who have like opinions on like proper like bullpen pl- bullpen platoon bullpen platooning Bull- <laughs> it's okay you got yeah, this Rob. i got this <laughs> borstling plus drooming yeah um yeah there are some fun intersectional things with there. It's like, do I do I use a traditional like starting dice and then like move to a back end rotation, or do I do some of this weird opening dice weirdness? Anyway, but anyway, like mm. my old ritual. This was more for when I was playing Stoldinst. Stoldinst, for those of you in the viewing public, was uh, he was my fighter in the last campaign that I was playing in Mike's game. Before the campaign mm-hmm. we we're in now, he was a badass. He was great, but he was a fighter. So after a certain point, I needed four twenty siders because I had four attacks. So psh, what's the point in not having four twenty siders <laughs> when I can be rolling yeah. different twenty siders for each one, right? For each attack, yeah. yeah absolutely. So I had my ritual called OC dice. Be- get it yeah yeah <laughs> so i would roll all oh, four 20 awful. siders um and then arrange them one through four because the first one was always like the first set i bought for this character and then the second set and then the third set and then the fourth set so i rolled those then i rolled the respective eight siders from each one because he used a long sword mostly and then I had some six siders as well for that and i don't i didn't roll every die in the set and arrange them like in a left to right fashion just the ones i used mostly so it was mostly i think 20s eights six siders and my percentile dice all four sets because i mean why are Mm. we here if i'm not doing them (laughs) oh my god what were we talking about (laughs) how weird dice get you into playing the game yes that's that's what got us here uh, everybody loves to roll weird dice, and some people develop addictions yeah, to them. Yeah, like for us, sure. So. All, all this weird <laughs> bullshit can be yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, become a dice goblin, everybody. It's great. It is great. Someday you're going to be playing a wizard, and you'll thank us later. <laughs> yes, when you need all of those 8d6s to roll for fireball. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, all eight. Just eight. You got to upcast that shit, bud. Uh, true, yeah. I mean, true, true. not when you're fifth level. Um, you can't, but, you know. Right. Yeah, once you get the ability to, you certainly can. Um, For sure. Yeah, and I, I think this is kind of a good segue just into talking to uh, uh, t- talking about how to approach an episode zero from a player's perspective, um, because obviously the episode zero or session zero is going to be for everyone, right? We've talked a lot about the DM, but the players have a lot to bring to the table, uh, pun intended, in, in this uh, session as well. Because you're going to be talking about, you know, party dynamics. You're going to be talking about what classes and races you're all going to be playing. Um, so do we want to kind of circle back around to talking a little bit about um, some tips for picking classes and stuff? Or, um, you know, h- how players can go about building sort of some of the party dynamics uh, in a session zero? Sure, a little bit. Um I guess my main thing without uh, repeating myself too much with what I said in our first episode, I would say that like session zero is a good time for you as a group of players to kind of figure out how you're going to work together as a group. Cause I think, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that does kind of get glossed over in a lot of um, campaigns which isn't always bad. A lot of times people kind of fall into roles naturally, and I don't think you necessarily need a balanced party to have fun. Oh, not at all. No, 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 no. But you do need to kind of have an understanding on what everyone's role is um, within the party dynamics. I think that's super helpful, even if you're not filling every single like type or um, archetype of class. Um, for sure and all that said somebody should be healing a bit i just want i just mm, want to sneak yeah especially in D. yeah i just want to sneak that <laughs> one a bit under the radar because it's somebody should be doing it i feel that a lot of times nobody really wants to um which breaks mm-hmm. my heart because cleric is the best <laughs> partially. And also for, sure. for the times that I don't want to be cleric, I'm occasionally find myself being like, really guys, <laughs> just really mm-hmm. <laughs> come on. Yeah. The, I mean, the good thing is about D and D is, is about fifth edition specifically is that a lot of the classes have healing abilities. Um, None of them are going to be as good or as focused as the cleric, but the druid, the paladin, even the sorcerer and the warlock and the bard all can potentially get cure wounds at first level. So, um, you know, if you don't have someone that's like a designated healer, make sure that at least somebody is picking up some way to heal uh, other players because it's needed. Um, And, and, you know, if no one has any healing options, you know, as a DM, you just need to be aware of that to know that you're going to need to load healing potions up because parties do need ways to heal themselves or you will very easily TPK them. For sure. Um, so and, and potions is expensive, too. So, you know, they are. They are very expensive. So if they can be found or, you know, given to the party in some way, then um, all the better. But if not, then, yeah, it can be really tough. 
For sure. So if you're a player um, going into the session zero, I would say kind of be ready to talk with the rest of the group about what sorts of roles people are into. This, of course, naturally um, means that you yourself are going to want to come into it having at least some vague idea of what sort of character you want to be and what your role is going to sort of look like. You don't necessarily necessarily need to have that figured out in the specific, especially if you are a new player. Like, because yeah, mm-hmm. no one's going to no one's going to make you read the whole PHB um, from cover to cover before you show up. Um, so, but do kind of be thinking about um, what you might want to do under ideal conditions. You might have to compromise a bit. Yeah, have but some. That's part of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you just have some general archetype uh, as an idea of what you want to play, then um, you can kind of figure out the rest of that in session zero. And that's kind of the point of that session zero experience is to um, kind of put all of those things on the table with the rest of the players and be able to build up, you know, starting very general and then narrowing it down to the specifics. For sure. Um, Yeah. And a lot of that can often be um, helped or aided by the DM when you start talking about like kind of the the campaign setting or story or, you know, some of those ideas that the, the DM is going to bring to the table because that'll help fill in a lot of um, or I guess it kind of works both ways, really. Like you, your ideas will help fuel things for the dm and then the dm what the dm brings to the table will help solidify some of your ideas Uh, and it really should be very much just a conversation uh between everyone around the table um as you're all sort of piecing this all together uh the party dynamics and your own individual characters alike word yep also as a player i think it's important to like be able to go into it um just with an understanding of what you are and are not comfortable with as a player and Mm, being mm -hmm, for sure ready to represent your own interests sort of effectively this may sound very vague but um just to name like one super extreme example i guess like this isn't that extreme. I might not have had an example by the time I was like to just to name an example. I we are committed to professionalism here at Nineteen Hits the Dragon. And that includes, ha- uh, but like I mean, I'm a big believer in that. Um, nobody, um, GMs and players included, should ever have to like do voices or actual like um speaking out role playing if they don't feel like it for example mm-hmm. right yeah so absolutely. if but um not every gm is going to see it that way um if you do end up in a game mm-hmm. if you're not sure how into the idea of like being in character kind of a lot and your gm um is in session zero and seeming like they're going to insist on it like let them know this mm-hmm. is the time to talk about this sort of thing yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I agree. You never want to feel like you're forced into a situation where you have to be sort of a performer, right? Because, you know, we're, we're all just people playing a game together. Not everybody is going to be a, you know, a trained actor, improviser, voice actor. Um, you know, we're not all sitting down to play the same game that Critical Role is playing. It's a very different experience for everyone. So um, make sure that you... Uh, have that communication with your players as far as what your expectations are at, at minimum DMs and then DM or, and, and players make sure that you're clear about what you're comfortable with from a role-playing perspective um, so that you don't end up, you know, in the middle of session one or two or three. And then all of a sudden you're feeling really overwhelmed and don't feel like you can keep it up. Like this shouldn't be a super stressful game all of the time. Like, yes, there are elements that are going to be a little bit stressful or tense, um, but you don't want to have that feeling just about going to the game in general. So make sure that you communicate clearly those expectations in session zero as well. Absolutely. Um, cause I feel like I see it a lot, um, on the subreddits and such, just a lot of like, well, my players aren't really mm -hmm. taking it seriously. It's like, well, have that dialogue in front, man. Like serious mm -hmm. for them is not mm -hmm. always going to be serious for you. And the extent to which you can like dictate what they should or should not be doing a, it's kind of limited, but B you have to establish those expectations, I guess. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and just to kind of build on top of this and, and making another reference back to um, our first episode, uh, make sure that you are using safety tools and you as a DM, like if you are going to put together a story or a campaign that deals with topics that might be sensitive, you want to bring these things up to your players as well beforehand, um, you know, dropping these triggering types of topics onto people uh in the middle of a campaign with no warning is not okay um and you know with your your players you know e you don't always know what's going to be triggering to someone right so you also want to be able to communicate um or have a form of communication for when you maybe step over the line um, and that's something to discuss with your players. I mean, there are all kinds of safety tools that are out there, you know, like different types of cards and things. And we can throw some links down in the notes um, to give good examples of these. But um, there are ways to, you know, communicate between the player and the DM or the rest of the players. Like, you know, if that person isn't feeling comfortable with the way that the story is going. So um, make sure that you have some dialogue around that as well, especially if you're planning a game or a campaign that can that is planning on uh, you know even tiptoeing around some sensitive topics um, it's just common courtesy to have those discussions with your players for sure definitely and then sorry I'm just kind of getting loose kind of <laughs> oh, good on my shoulders you know well i think um yeah for sure um I think this kind of leads us into, you know, what the DM should bring specifically to um, session zero as far as uh, talking about like the, the campaign and um, where the story and the game is going to take the players. Um, so I just want to say, you know, as a DM, when I come to a session zero, I 
I like to have an, at least an idea of what the story is going to be. Um, I, I, a lot of times will even run the, the, um, officially published modules, um, and have read through those prior to session zero. So if you are running, uh, you know, a, a published campaign, um, be prepared to talk about that to the players and kind of what the setting is, what maybe some of the themes of the game are going to be, um, maybe give them some specifics about the story or kind of where it's going. Um, and if you're going to be vague about it, then you need to explain like why you're being vague about it. Cause if it's, you know, if it's going to be a mystery or, you know, there's things that the players are going to have to work really hard to uncover details. Like they should have expectations of that going into the campaign um, so that, you know, they at least have a little bit of an idea of what this story or what this game is that they're getting into. Yeah, for sure. I think that does kind of relate to what you were saying too, about potentially like disturbing topics. Not that, not that that tends to be too much of a thing with um, the, especially the wizards published ones. I don't think, although Mm -hmm. I, Uh, yeah, I mean, I never uh, read Baldur's Gate descent to Avernus. I mean, Uh, I hear that one gets pretty messed up actually now that i'm thinking yeah. back on it like yeah they were like little i played a little bit of it once and so yeah it was kind of mm-hmm. yeah i would say shroud and um descent to avernus both deal with a lot of sensitive topics so um even if you are running these published campaigns make sure that you're letting players know kind of what they're getting into because um, yep. that's important for sure <laughs> And, uh, yeah, obviously the flip side of this then is if you're making your own campaign, just do so, um, cognizant of things that could be potentially sensitive or triggering to others and just be ready Mm -hmm. to talk about those things when you're presenting the campaign. I, um, for sure. This is a little bit of a tricky one for me because again, This is something that I feel that I've never done a particularly good job of because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is because I'm just kind of used to um, the old school, like, well, the story's a surprise. You're just going to have to see what it's like, right? Uh, Right, um, right. So uh, something that I'm trying to work on, certainly. Uh, But even so, like, I do have a preference for being kind of vague about certainly what's going to happen in the story. So I'm going to use something um, published, right? Because, like, Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. don't want the fucking players to know what's going to happen, right? Also, also, (laughs) also, if it goes anything like my last campaign, it's possible that I'll get either bored with or pissed at the the campaign as written and try and you know crash it into whatever own weird directions i want to get into although that that (laughs) pretty conclusively fucked up my last group so maybe i should not do that Mm -hmm. i just that's (laughs) a that is that is the uh the thin line that you tread there it um, is um Um, although yeah, this is a story for another time. I, it really is, but uh, for sure. Anyway, yeah, um, but be definitely be ready to discuss the setting and what the setting is like. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. um, be um, 
ready to talk about like where the setting if you're talking doing a D thing be ready to talk about the setting in terms of where it fits on the um kind of high fantasy low fantasy spectrum because that's going mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. inform a lot of um player decisions if you feel empowered by virtue of the setting to restrict or open up uh, certain player options this is when you this is absolutely the time to have those sorts of conversations as well right because Mm -hmm, for sure yeah although oh god i spaced out again i'm sorry (laughs) all right it's all good um yeah and i think just to kind of build on top of that though um you know, talking about how high or low uh, fantasy or magic um, of a setting you're going to have, kind of if you're setting up any like strange um, rules or like norms or stigmas around the things within your campaign, um, it's important to make sure that the party knows that in session zero. So just as an example, I've seen a lot of conversations about this. It's never something that I've done before, but um, if you are putting a setting together where like magic is outlawed, right? Your players need to know that, you know, what types of magic is it? Arcane magic is divine magic also outlawed, et cetera, et cetera. Like they need to know these things going into um, the campaign because a lot of, character options use magic especially in fifth edition every single class has access to magic at some point um so it's very important if you're going to have a rule like that that your players know that going into character creation so that they can be aware that of the taboo around some of the options that they will have to take as players um so th- that's just, you know, kind of one example, but it, it can also, you know, take a lot of different forms uh, as well. If you're putting up strange restrictions or, or not strange, but putting up restrictions to, you know, any options um, that the players have at the beginning of creating their characters, they need to know about that going into the campaign. Because if they show up on session one and they find that, you know, their primary ability is illegal in the setting, uh, they're kind of screwed over. So yeah. um, it can be really frustrating from the player's perspective for things like that. Yeah, for sure. The, again, transparency is key. It doesn't matter how much you're trying to protect. It's like like whatever like story reveal in terms of just like, ah, you've used magic and terrified the entire village. They're sending their whole guard at you, which like, great, you mm-hmm. devised a really cool gotcha. You must be so cool. <laughs> like yeah, you gotta you gotta put that shit aside. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, discussing um, discussing restrictions can be a tough one. This is a bit more of one that I have a bit more experience. Uh, I don't want to say a bit more experience. I don't want to denigrate Mike. Mike is a great GM, and you should all listen to everything <laughs> he says because he's great. Uh, oh shucks, you're making but me blush. As we'll probably get into someday, maybe today, maybe uh next episode maybe 10 episodes after that it's already come up a bit we have very different um opinions on like various on like 
the use of rule supplements in general and like player options kind of in general i tend to be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i tend to have a much more um restrictive viewpoint that kind of started out as a matter of practicality honestly um back uh this was a decade ago now, which uh, shout out to Jim, Victor, Ruben, Panda, and Naomi. But um, this was a decade ago. Um, I was DMing Pathfinder. Um, around the time the game started, I don't know if this was... If it was out by now 10 years ago... And when I say this was a decade ago, I mean this was exactly a decade ago, basically, when we were starting out. Mm-hmm. Um but either around this time or shortly after, um, Pathfinder released, um, it was called the Advanced Player's Guide. Had a schmuck frick ton of like player options, right? New classes, new feats, new, all, new spells, new all sorts of stuff. And when I say new classes, I mean like drastically different new classes, right? Um, it was a very, mm-hmm. it was yep. a very popular and influential um, supplement within the game, but I didn't have it, and I was kind of like, for better or for worse, <laughs> shall we say, I was very much in my like young, immature, bloodthirsty DM phase, and I really did ha- sort of have that sort of tyrannical mindset, right? So to me, I was mm-hmm. kind of like, well, I don't know what's in this guide, man. Like, I don't own it. I've seen it. I've thumbed through it at the Dice Dojo, right? Shout out to the Dice Dojo. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Shout out to the Dice Dojo. Um, anyway, so I thumbed through it, but I had Hashtag not anything, a sponsor. And I was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of more stuff. And to me, it, with... Uh, my interest in the GM side of things more. It's like, well, I'm either going to, if I'm going to buy a new thing, I'll probably get like the bestiary two or whatever, something like that. This is for way later, if at any point, but then I started having to feel questions about, it's like, can we play with this thing from the advanced players guide? And I was like, not really, man, I'm not seeing this shit. I don't know what it actually does. And I kind of beyond Mm -hmm. the, like, Mm -hmm. um, beyond the, like, silly and stupid like tyrannical thing i think i was also coming from a starting point and i still kind of believe this it's like if you have a decently designed system like the system kind of has set its own limits so to an extent there's not much for supplements to do except strain at those limits that's not entirely true but Mm. sometimes it kind of feels that way i think um uh even like some of the stuff in like Xanathar's, I'm saying like Jesus, you're letting people do that now. Okay, you, some of it is a lot more reasonable, mm. but anyway, um, so that was part of it too, and also part of it is I kind of want to, and this remains true, is I would rather like, in, um, how am I saying this? To an extent, I sort of view, like, the rule supplements as kind of... They're kind of like DLCs, as it were, in a video game. Like, you get the, like, extra thing, and now you can do all this other stuff. And it's not that I'm, like... I don't see the, like, value in that, I guess. I just, like... I want to encourage players, 
my players to like think outside the box more and like in terms of just like mm-hmm. well i think i kind of want to be able to do this is there a way to be able to do this like i like kind of collaborating and coming up with right. like alternate player options that don't already exist that was kind of fun part of it too is like a low fantasy bias but honestly and this is my hot take this is a spicy one so you know be sitting down uh, seriously <laughs> i don't i don't I embr- think I fifth edition is very well suited to low fantasy in general for a f- yeah oh, for a few not, reasons one not. um magic isn't scary enough <laughs> for one thing yeah everything is like mm-hmm. concentration and i don't maybe this is kind of taking stuff in a different direction we don't have to go down this rabbit hole maybe i want to keep this in my back pocket <laughs> for some other time this might be good for an, another yeah, yeah, episode yeah, but, actually but we we definitely deviated from the session zero we did deviate from, but that's well, okay. sorta but like all i'm trying to a say is bit. like if you um okay to bring things back a bit yeah i've had to have a lot of conversations about um various player restrictions but it's okay as Mm -hmm. long as you are chill and reasonable and like are clear that you're doing it um for an actual reason and not to be an asshole your players if they're cool should be cool with it right as long as everyone abides by rule number one, then there's not a problem. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, setting those restrictions um, is is totally fair for you know your own personal reasons. Um, it can be a campaign setting specific thing. It can be a comfortability thing, like Rob was saying. You know, if you don't have Xanathar's Guide and you're not familiar with how all the new class options work or Tasha's uh, Cauldron of Everything as well as that's uh, at the time of recording this not out yet but I'm sure by the time people are hearing this it uh, may be um, anyway like if you're not comfortable with the rules and the supplements that are presented in these new books it's okay to tell players that they can't use those in this campaign um I I tend to have the opposite view where I want players to do cool things. And I'm not saying that Rob doesn't want his players to do cool things. I, I want players to have as many options as possible. Um, so I am very much behind using all of the different supplements, even Unearthed Arcana. I tend to shy away from like homebrewed classes, but a homebrewed race I'm probably going to be more lenient on. Um, if there's a specific thing that a player wants to play as, then... I will probably let them do that um, just because that that is kind of it, it's fun for me to explore the new options with the players that are exploring them as well. Um, but it, it doesn't invalidate Rob's point of, you know, wanting to stick to sort of the core mechanics, as it were, and find unique ways to use them as well. Um, it's, this is totally a personal preference thing for you as the DM. And it is because you were the one running the game. It is your right to, you know, set down these restrictions as needed. Again, as long as everyone's following rule number one, don't be a dick. For sure. I would say though, if you do intend to be a bit more restrictive, um, 
I guess this is kind of one point, but it's going to sound like two points, or maybe it'll sound like one point. That's actually two points. Whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> with newer players, I'd be less willing to do that just because, like, I don't – if part of the idea of, like, restricting player options is to offer a bit more of a – I guess curated experience like new players don't really mm, have mm-hmm, the framework mm-hmm. to answer for themselves whether they'd be into that at all in the first place you know fair enough yeah I think for new players like sticking to the core mechanics or the you know the basic rules or the what's presented in the player's handbook um, is a for totally sure. fair well request. yeah and I, I was kind of meaning like there's that. I was kind of saying more, it's like, if they're new players, though, I wouldn't want to, like, limit their options as much either. Because, uh, okay. like, yeah, I think yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. thing, gotcha. too, and I was talking about this a bit with the low fantasy stuff, but I think, again, curated experience is kind of the, like, key phrase here. If you have players who you know know the game and know what they're doing and know what they want, then I would almost feel a bit more free being like, hey, so listen, so this is go- what's going on with the setting and we're not, I'm not allowing like these options, whatever they happen to be, right? And like, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. like that's kind of more of a, yeah, once um, it's a, it's a framework of game experience and um, sort of issue, I guess. Um, because mm-hmm. you don't want to, like, you don't want to insist on too much weirdness that's off book with beginning players. And you don't want to insist on um, taking s- too much stuff away from beginning players, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just a thought. And it ties into, again, to my main point, too. It's like, if you're going to restrict player options, you better come correct with, like, a decent reason. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's it's no fun to just say, well, you guys can't play uh, these races or these types of classes and stuff like that. And that it, it is that way because I say so. Like, that's no fun for anybody. And chances are people aren't gonna you know like a campaign when you put up walls like that without explaining things all right so everybody again this kind of circles back to our main idea of like communicate and be transparent so especially important in session zero uh, for yeah setting things up for your, your game exactly all right so here's the deal everybody can only be half elves you can only be a, you can be a wizard, but you can only, but in order to be a wizard, you earn half experience points for each encounter. <laughs> and uh, if you use it in town, you'll get if you Yikes. use your magic in town, you'll be arrested. Sorry, I thought that was funny. No one else did. Uh, no, okay. I, I enjoyed it. All right, um, yeah. And I think, you know, this is, since we're talking about uh, kind of the, you know, DM um, restrictions and allowances, talking about house rules is very important as well. Um, And I mean, this has kind of all been about house rules, but I mean, specific mechanic things like, are you going to use the flanking rules? The answer for me is a hard no. Um, But also, like, do you have any of your own house rules that you're going to bring to the the table? 
something that, uh, you know, I have thought about doing and that I've seen online as well. And actually, this kind of builds off of one of my current house rules is, you know, when players are leveling up, they get the chance to either roll for their hit points or choose the average. So my, my house rule up to this point has been, if you roll the one on that die, you can instead choose the average. Um, so that's something that I like to make clear in session zero of all of my campaigns is that yes, rolling a one on your hit die for leveling up sucks balls, especially when you have no constitution. So if you do roll a one, you can instead take the average. Um, although what I've considered doing, what I've seen from other people online as well, is if you roll below the average, you just take the average. Um, and if you roll higher than the average, then obviously you keep that. Um, so that's some, you know, rules along those lines. Any changes that you're going to make to kind of the core rules of D&D or any callings that you want to make clear to your players, you should bring those sorts of things up in uh, session zero as well. For sure. That's actually a very good one, and that's one that I kind of don't think of. When it came up in one of my last games, it, they were like, oh, hey, man, I rolled low on my hit dice. Can I take the average? And now all of a sudden I was on the spot being like, frick. I want the answer to be yeah. no, but I, this was, you know, this was in the before times. This was in person. This was happening. And, like, you know, mm, nobody mm-hmm. wants to be a dick in person, right? So it's one thing to be an <laughs> asshole on the internet. It's not great, and you should avoid it whenever possible. But, like, it, it, it is certainly is easier, though. easier, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and then I was all of a sudden kind of on the spot, and I... uh I did what I normally do in this situation as a GM, which is I panicked and made up something vaguely untenable and unprincipled, which which in this case was like, you could take the average as long as you're in the first tier, and after that, you're stuck with what you roll, which makes no sense. If I mm. thought about this a bit more um, clearly, like, or if I had specified this in session zero, things would have been a lot better, but alas... Mm. Right, you wouldn't have been put on the spot or had to panic yeah. about anything. That's so. a good one. I kind of... Yeah. But, yeah, there's some of that sort of stuff. Um, oh, my God. So vague. <sighs> Webster's Dictionary defines ability scores as... Okay. <laughs> okay. Now that, we've, now that I've gotten back off to a good start, uh. let me try this again. <laughs> there are a few things that, like, as house rules that I would kind of insist on. Again, I'm the opposite on flanking. It's always going to be in my games, and I'm not, I'm not, I will, like, politely listen to players, like, express why they don't want to do flanking, and then tell them tough shit. Um, so there's that one. There's also, mm-hmm. I use a slightly modified, um rules for diagonal movement because when we're on the grid um because mm-hmm. like pythagorean's theorem is still a thing and you can't just yeet up the hypotenuse like it was nothing that's what i says <laughs> eh. uh, yeet up the hypotenuse i feel like that's a brand new sentence uh right? maybe you have to write that one down i don't know man like we talked about <laughs> in college like because uh, i went to college uh in not the big city, but a prominent American city, right? And, like, when it was time to cross the street, like, we would be like, take the hypotenuse. It's quicker. 
assuming no cars were coming. Yeah. Mm. Right. Anyway. Right. Right. So right. Uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the point is establish rules like that in your sessions. You yeah. know, if you're going to have a modified rule for diagonal movement, um, if you're going to use flanking or not use flanking, if you um, are going to be using like a uh, fumble chart, you know, for critical fails. Um, also, just talking about your expectations for critical fails is important as well, because like rules as written, um, you know, nothing terrible happens on a one for the most part. Um, but if you are going to use some of those rules, those house rules of, you know, maybe you're going to hit somebody else or you're going to lose your weapon or break your weapon or, you know, stuff like that. Um, that sort of thing needs to be discussed for the most part, um, unless you're like like me for when we played Descent to Avernus in the material world, a natural one was fine. But in hell, a natural one was bad. Uh, and that is an optional rule that's given to you in the uh, the book. I chose not to tell my players about that um, because I wanted that to kind of be a surprise for when they got to hell just letting them know or get an idea of how awful things are in For sure. And that's a good way to, like, bring this sort of full circle in terms of, like, if you choose to withhold information, like, have a good reason for it. Something like that, that counts, Mm -hmm. man. Because, like, yeah, hell should suck. And hell should suck in a way that surprised the players. Like, that's totally valid. So, yeah. Yep. That's a good one. But anyway, outside of a few things, I think I mostly would, um, most of my house rules, I would insist on flanking and the diagonal movement thing. And also, uh, everybody was, everybody in my games has to roll for ability scores. There's no point by ever. Things like, mm, but very yeah. basic stuff like that, I would be like, this is what we're doing. It, now's the time to air your grievances. I will listen to them politely and then ignore them. Mm-hmm. But now's the time. Um, <laughs> um, and For maybe sure. address your concerns. You know, um, but, you know, in ter- <laughs> as my way of being like, yeah, I, I hear you, but no. Yeah. Outside but I of disagree. Both. I recognize that the council has made a decision, but because it's a stupid decision, I'm choosing <laughs> sure. to ignore it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Outside of that, though, I think there's a lot of room to kind of like open things up to discussion and like votes on like mm-hmm. some other specific Yeah, for ones. sure. Like one that I kind of like, I fucked this up in the last game where this came up again. Because, uh, you know, I'm scatterbrained idiot but um arcana checks it sort of doesn't make sense for me that like people who aren't proficient in arcana can just like roll for it and have a good a shot as it is anybody make an intelligence it, it check. reflects yeah, a absolutely. very specialized mm-hmm. sort of training it's a weird but like it's sure. a weird one because like third edition in pathfinder had a like thing where it's like you could only attempt a check there were some skills you could only even attempt if you were trained trained meaning you had put some points into them Mm -hmm. which you know right right. in typical third edition fashion was just a complete fucking mess and a nightmare to try and keep straight (laughs) 
but uh, <laughs> absolutely. And like fifth edition uh, kind of yeah. doesn't do that much to its benefit as a like system mm-hmm. to run, right? Like I don't. It's one less thing for to sure. Think about, but in terms of like the verisimilitude of mm-hmm. it, like something like that, where it's like mm-hmm. where it's like I want to have this rule where it's like arcane um non-proficient arcana checks are at disadvantage but i don't want to like Mm -hmm. force that on everybody i want to have a reasonable discussion and then maybe put it to a vote what's another thing mm -hmm. that would maybe work for this i'm trying to think people get weird about feats this isn't a um, like well it's not that Mm -hmm. people it's not that <laughs> people do get weird about feet, but that's totally a totally different, different podcast, podcast that we need to be on for that. <laughs> anyway, feats often a topic of uh, much uh, debate amongst players. Sure. And also, DMs. like I, which I think is weird because it's like the the PHB presents it as like optional, and I'm like, but why? Why is this out? Just their feats, man. Just like mm-hmm. it just it makes things slightly more confusing. Right. I just allow them. I sort of get the way yeah. that fifth edition. I again, I guess, in the interest of like presenting the rules themselves as fungible, I think they presented a few points. Like with feats, with flanking, with um, mm-hmm. like the language selection stuff as part of this too, mm-hmm. um, where they kind of have like discrete sets of rules that um, you can just kind of choose to exclude if you want. So I sort I sort of get that yep. as a like toes well, dipping into the idea of like every rule is a suggestion, man. So you do yeah that's kind of the thing about fifth edition is it's it's kind of a build your own game system <laughs> where they're like here are all of the pieces use whatever you want to put together your game um in a lot of ways anyway so yeah um but uh yeah i mean talking about feats like there are some some dms also have stigmas against certain feats like the lucky feat is one that i hear a lot of people talking shit about because it does it doesn't break the game but it can be very frustrating when a player is just like oh well i get to roll again because my character choice says so i get to make another roll on this um and that has caused much chagrin to dms um so i, I can understand why people are uh, not okay with that. Personally, I don't feel the need to exclude any particular feats, but that I think is also something that can be, you know, if you're not dead set against it, if you want to bring that up to the party or the player players and say like, hey, here are a few things that I kind of have problems with. Is it okay if we just leave these out of the game? Um, yeah. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that can be put to a vote around the table. Because um, if someone's really wants the lucky feet like they're gonna make a case for why the lucky feet is important to them and you need to have that conversation with them for sure um lucky luck being like an example but yeah i think um lucky sort of isn't so bad i don't think uh and my thing with feats i don't think it's bad either but two people uh but people do get it because like and again i think this kind of like this kind of goes back to a sort of adversarial thing 
between GMs and players, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think you can have the best of intentions, but like as a GM in terms of not doing that, but then you get into a game and say you have designed a really hard encounter and like the players are kind of rolling through it. And then like, it's like, well, I'm going to show that fucking rogue or whatever. What's up or whatever. And then like, they're like, but I'm lucky or whatever. And you're just like, God, that sort of thing can be hard to avoid in the moment. I guess I don't, Mm -hmm. my thing Mm -hmm. with feats, I guess, is that, for the most part, I'm cool with them because unlike third edition, which is like, here's a feat, here's another feat, here's all this feats, and also you kind of need this specific <laughs> feat, otherwise you can't do this specific thing in a lot of instances, which, ugh, I'm rolling my eyes into my ba- the back of my yep. head, Undertaker style. But uh, <laughs> as I'm saying this, I'm not, I actually can't do that. Um, which is why I never made it in pro wrestling. Anyway. <laughs> that, yes That's that the is reason. the one and now only we know reason. why <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway <laughs> feats have a real opportunity cost in fifth edition that's a fucking asi you're spending mm-hmm. on this shit like that's not right, nothing right. so i tend to lean more towards um allow feats or don't allow feats one feat um and this is actually one in xanathar's um which I kind of have problems with for a reason I'll get to. It's called Elven Master. And basically, if you're an elf, Mm -hmm. you can take it. But basically, when you have advantage, you roll three times instead of two. And what bothers me about that is less from a, like, adversarial-like aspect and more from a, like, Mm -hmm. management of the rules and the game aspect. Because advantage and disadvantage is one of those things where in basically all other circumstances, like, I know this. I know how this works. You have mm-hmm. one of either advantage or disadvantage, or you don't. And if you do, you roll. And if you have either, you roll twice. I don't want to have to be thinking about ways that could not be true. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I would, in this sort of situation, Um, I know I said I talked a bunch of shit with, like, um allowing like rule supplements xanathar's is kind of a it's kind of its own thing at this point especially since it's so well known um and also Mm -hmm. i think if i'm say if i'm running a campaign in like the forgotten realms it's like forgotten realms is as high as fucking fantasy gets it contains everything that's the point Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so i don't have a problem with that but that's something where i would like in a session zero sort of situation, I'd want to be like, I'll allow Xanathars and I'll allow all the stuff in Xanathars, but I want to modify some of the stuff in Xanathars for these reasons. Like, that would be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm, I'm looking at this feat now. What you're talking about is elven accuracy. Oh, yeah. Um, and the stipulation is... Uh, whenever you have advantage on attack on an attack roll using dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, um, you can re-roll one of those dice once. So there is a little bit of a limit to it, but I definitely understand your frustration. Yeah, yeah, it's not Um, so much that I think it's like busted by its very nature. It kind of is, but whatever. And it, mm-hmm. it is a kind of an example I, of what I was. This it's exact. 
like when I was saying that's like part of like um I think to an extent sometimes there's not much for rule supplements to do except strain at the like perfectly like decent limits of what was already set, right? This is kind of what I'm saying with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like you're just fucking with advantage yeah. because you wanted some stuff. This is more more content for your face. Hold yeah. On. Listen, man. I have a lot of <laughs> shit on my mind. I like I, I like cuz like mm-hmm. I my ambition perpetually outstrips my means as a GM. Like I'm just like like I'm like rolling on gem tables to like be like and you get a moonstone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Worth gold. 200 yeah, exactly. Gold pieces. Like I'm doing this sort of shit. Yeah. I do not want advantage and disadvantage yeah. to be well, fucked with. That's something I can rely on for like table flow. Like yeah. the flow of how I run the table is like at stake here. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. I think an easy way to modify this one, because the other thing that it gives you is an increase uh, to either dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. You can increase that one of those scores by one point. Um, so I think the way to modify this and sort of make it a little more balanced is that it's an attack roll using only that ability that you increased rather than because you can increase any of those and then whenever you make an attack roll with any of those as well regardless of whether it's the one you increased or not you can re-roll one of the dice right so if you were to say you have when you have an advantage on an attack roll using the score you increased you can re-roll one of those dice once i think that limits it enough to where it's only going to come up uh occasionally um rather than all of the time because if you have someone that is like a just as an example both a caster and a um uh weapon user they can use both their uh, spell attack rolls and attack rolls with ranged or finesse weapons which opens up a lot of chances for re-rolling those those dice um but if you limit it to the ability score that you're using or that you increase, then that sort of limits your options on when you get to re-roll one of your advantage dice, essentially. Hmm. Sure. So that makes sense. But yeah, that's just my I thinking. Actually have... And and again, these are things that you should talk to people For about. Sure. In I was yeah. actually thinking with that one because I've thought about this. Um, I was thinking that instead of like, I would probably keep it like um. What was I saying? Instead of rolling a third dice, like I would be like, you get a plus something. I I haven't decided what's fair exactly. Mm, get a, yeah, just a an bonus actual bonus. It. Yeah, yeah. You 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 do have to be careful, especially with fifth fifth edition, because the um the modifiers are so streamlined that adding even a plus one or a plus two is a much bigger influence on the die roll than you realize. Yeah. Especially if you're used to playing like 3.5 in Pathfinder, where, you know, by the time players are 10th level, everyone's rolling like plus 10 to plus 15 yeah. on all of their skill checks and stuff. For so sure. if you give them a plus one, that's kind of a drop in the bucket. But in fifth edition, a plus one has a, a much more substantial impact on the, um, on the roll yeah, for so. sure 
You have to be sure. careful with that as well. Three cheers for stand anyway, deflation. I think the point um, of this seriously, <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, the the point of this conversation around this feat is that you need to talk to your players about these things. So if you're going to be making changes to small rules or you know whatever, have that communication um, with your players in, in session zero. Um, you don't want to get to, you know, Oh, we're at fourth level and we take a feed and I take this feed and, Oh, well, I actually don't like that particular feed. So I'm going to change up how that works. Like that, that is no fun for anybody. Um, so, uh, again, I think just kind of setting expectations from the get go, uh, is vital here so that when things that get encountered later on, you've already had the conversation and players already know what to expect out of that. Um, for the most part, obviously there are going to be things that come up that you hadn't talked about in session zero. That's how tabletop RPGs work. Um, but you can mitigate a lot of those frustrations and lengthen conversations down the road by setting proper expectations in session zero. Word. Yep. Speaking of which, I kind of wanted to, transition at this point because we've kind of gone a bit long going down weird rabbit holes that i let us down kind of on purpose <laughs> and i'm sort of sorry yep it, yeah it's all good deal. anyway i did want to talk a bit more about expectations yep. as like a table etiquette sort of thing um again first to mm-hmm, sum up mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. last bit about it what whether it comes to house rules or um other stuff um, like campaign parameters, like these things are or are not allowed. Just be ready to discuss why that's what you're doing. Um, um, be ready to like maybe discuss them openly or vote on them and just, yeah, don't be a dick. Anyway, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for like table parameters, table etiquette parameters, blah, blah, blah. This is also something that's super important to talk about in session zero, I think. So, so like, I have, like, um, I insist on law and order at my tables to an extent. Like, you know what drives me up a fucking creek is when I'm rolling initiative or the players are rolling initiative or they're rolling saving throws. There's, like, a breath weapon situation or some sort of area of effect situation, Mm -hmm. like, happening. And players are just blurting out what the fuck they got. Hell no, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a very audio-attuned guy, <laughs> so, like, there's nothing more distracting to me than somebody just yelling out, like, numbers. That, like, I'm going to have to ask right, for it. Right, right. First off, I'm going to forget what the fuck I was doing. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, especially especially in the breath weapon situation, because typically like, you're rolling, you know, a bunch of dice, and you're trying to add all those numbers up to figure out what the total damage is going to be. So if you're in the middle of doing that and people are just shouting random numbers at you in the midst of that, it can very easily distract you from where you're at and have you, you know, start all over again. Um, So setting expectations for, you know, if you're rolling a saving throw or if everyone's rolling, you know, initiative or everyone's making some sort of group roll, you need to have some sort of ruling in place uh, from the table etiquette perspective on how you as a DM are going to take that information in from people. Yes. Um, otherwise, it just turns into chaos, for sure. uh, which is, I mean, if that's your thing, then fine. But, you know, for people who have high anxiety, like myself and Rob, uh, it can be not great. Yeah, so. not great at all. 
Especially when, like, yeah, with prep <laughs> lessons and dice, like, I don't fucking have 12 D8s. Uh, I, I don't think I actually have <laughs> right. shit like that. But, yeah, um, so similar yeah. to, like, with um, various restrictions, as long as you're able to discuss um, this sort of thing in an open way and just being like, I need this in order to run this game effectively and you're cool and you're reasonable about it, your players should be okay with it. So again, to bring, to bring this For whole sure. example, the thing, one um, thing is I try and establish, it's like, here's how like anytime, like um, anytime p- multiple people are rolling a check or whatever, or save all at once, just um, wait till I call you basically. Yeah. I always establish like wait till you're called on until saying what you got on a thing and also kind of related to that and related to the more like tell me what you want to do and then I'll tell you how we'll do it. Also, don't make any sort of check until I ask you to basically that also kind of keeps things Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. because like some some tables do do like I'm going to roll for perception. Oh, cool. I got a 16 or whatever, which is fine. As right. long as the yeah, or and then as long as the table's cool with that, that's cool. As long as the GM's cool with it, that's right. cool. But if I'm running the game, that will drive me fucking nuck and futs for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one thing to, and it's it's tough because especially if you're playing with people who know the game really well. Um, obviously like if I am a well-versed player and I am trying to look around the room or the space that I'm in, I know that I need to roll a perception check. Like that's what that skill is for. Um, so it, it's just something that you need to have a dialogue with your players about, right. On how, what the expectations are. So for Rob's example, I can tell him, I want to look around the room. And he tells me, okay, roll a perception. So, you know, that's one way to do it. You can also, you know, have, uh, bring it as a question, right? So can I make a perception roll to see what's around me? You know, stuff like that. As long as you're having some sort of conversation around those things. Um, and what the, the preferences for you as a DM are um, for how the players should behave in those situations or act in those situations. Sure. Yeah. That, that yes, is that, that is making the sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And good, good, good. Yeah, these are the sort of things you need to talk about. And like, if you're a new GM, I can understand how this is going to be a bit. Um, this might seem like a lot because you aren't necessarily going to know what you need to succeed exactly, or what you need to mm-hmm. run things well. For sure. And like. Shit's going to go wrong anyway, and you're going to have to take your lumps no matter what. And I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to prepare you for that, like, emotion. I, I guess I know how to prepare you for that emotionally. <laughs> it's okay. People are having fun. It's all right. Don't worry about it. But, like, in terms yeah. of just, like, yeah. here's how to prepare yourself for this, I'm just, I don't know. I would just say, again, it's okay to insist on, like, procedural order and it's okay to impose that order as long as you're not being a dick about it yeah exactly um, also kind of from a like d- 
different perspective. I want to talk about this too. This is a, I think this is a pretty salient table etiquette issue. And it's something I kind of like, I'm nobody's, I'm not anybody's dad. I'm not anybody's supervisor. I can't tell you what is and is not important (laughs) for you at your table, but I want to have this conversation. I think between GM and players and even between like different players, there can be different expectations about how focused everybody is being in terms of playing. I absolutely my take on it is that you're probably you're playing the game for probably a few hours probably at least a couple maybe closer to like three to five I don't think I've ever really played more than five hours at a stretch maybe maybe yeah, I know that we have gone as long as six hours before, but those were very intense sessions, and we were all we were all exhausted. Them, so we definitely at didn't the do end, that and you know, like pizza would show up, you know, as well, right? Like these things would right. happen, and right. you know, yep. <laughs> anyway, yep. but my point is, is like for however long you guys are playing, if you got the game together, like you really shouldn't force people to be on for that entire time you don't want to be doing that probably mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. probably not everybody else for wants sure. to be doing that too so the way i kind of look at it and the way that like i would send this unsolicited advice out into the ether is like my take on it is that like it's okay if you're not always paying strict attention That's fine. If you need to like, if you need to scroll on your phone, like for a bit, just to like, kind of be not thinking Mm -hmm. about this for a sec. That's okay. Um, do set the expectation that people pay attention when it's their turn. Um, or if they're kind of like more in the scene, this kind of ties back into like, I know Mike and I have talked about this already before, but find ways as well to like have certain players be doing things while other players aren't that gives players who aren't doing a thing time yep. to like kind of sit and recharge their batteries like you know so mm-hmm. find those opportunities and like allow those players to not be like paying strict attention because nobody's going to hold up if you're like playing for 4 hours out every week and everybody's supposed to be paying attention to every single thing that's going on that's that's just not like, for sure there you're here to have fun like people are here to have fun and like i've spoken on this as well there's a temptation to be like super auteurist when you're gming i think and like you need to mm-hmm. sometimes not do that so i would say that but even within that i would say like if it's in combat just make sure people know that like it's okay to be like Listen, when it's your turn, I want you to kind of be like uh, aware that it's your turn and kind of ready to go. And either like right, either yeah. have your plan of action more or less figured out or figure out what questions you need to ask me to determine if you can enact said plan of action. Um, that I think that's exactly. a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, just speaking to that same thing is, you know, Everyone kind of needs to understand that, yeah, we can't all be on at the same time. But if it gets around to your turn in combat and you're not 
ready to go, it, it's going to make things drag out and that dragging out combat can make it less uh, tense and less fun as well. So setting an expectation of, you know, you need to be ready when it's your turn is not just a form of like, hey, pay attention, we're playing D&D together, like get off your phone. It's we are playing D&D together and everyone needs to be engaged somewhat to keep the game moving along. Um, because if people aren't somewhat paying attention, at least somewhat paying attention by the time their turn comes around, that's how things end up dragging out. Um, so setting those parameters, uh, with your, your players in session zero is super important. So they know, you know, when it's their turn, they need to be able to do something. Um, or at least like Rob said, have questions ready to ask about the situation so that they can try to do something. For sure. So that's a good one. That's kind of my whole uh, speech on table etiquette is, yeah, it's okay to allow people to be like, to like take a bit off within reason. And like, I, again, Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, like I'm very anti people just blurting shit out. Obviously if it's like not combat, that's different. And like you want to encourage Mm -hmm. free flowing Mm -hmm. conversation between players somewhat. I actually like it because like, I love when my players are arguing about whatever because that lets me look ahead to what's that looks that <laughs> lets me look ahead to what's next and also like all I have to do is keep my ears open for something actionable, basically. Anyway, mm-hmm. right. And uh, another one is I think there are differing views on like how prepared players should be for a given session. Um, not that games always require mm-hmm. like a ton mm-hmm. of homework necessarily but like to me ideally yeah um people would if like we leveled up at the if they leveled up at the end of last game ideally yeah they would have their stuff leveled up by the time the next game starts or the next session starts rather that sort of doesn't For happen sure. it's so, almost yes. to, to the point that like i like I don't insist on this at all because I don't think it's realistic. It's like, and also you should sure. bring me pizza and chocolate and and <laughs> to every session. Yeah, like that's. Um, but but again, like having that sort of conversation in a session zero of like you know you need to show up with your character sheet and probably with a pencil or I'm going to have pencils for everybody. So if you don't have one, that's fine. Or you need to bring your dice or, you know, who has dice, who doesn't, et cetera. Like those basic sorts of preparedness um, uh, instances are important to talk about as well um, because players need to know what's sort of expected of them when they show up. I I don't like to ask my players to do a whole lot of homework in between sessions. If people come to me and they have ideas about their character that they've thought up in between stuff, I love that, but I'm not going to expect that from everybody. Um, I, I typically just ask players to like, you know, have their sheets ready. You know, we can do some things to level up at the beginning of a session. That's fine. Um, and I, I think I'm going to start implementing sort of a rule, and that maybe really not a rule, but just um, an expectation to read over your character sheet at the beginning of each session so you can kind of remember all of the stuff you can do. Uh, because there's a lot to remember, and you're not, you know, we shouldn't necessarily expect everyone to have an iron vice memory uh, like I do sometimes. Um, 
about everything that their players are, or that their characters are capable of doing. So setting some sort of expectation for me, I think, to talk to the players and say, hey, at the beginning of your session, just read over your sheets. Like, think about who you are, who your character is, and all the stuff that they can do. Just kind of give that a once over so that you're refreshed on what you can do and what items you have and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a nice one. I think, yeah, and it can be kind of nice to, like, to, um, what's it? It can be nice to, like, start out the session by having, like, informal chats about, like, say, I was noticing this thing. What does this mean? Or, like, I was mm-hmm. leveling up and I was thinking mm-hmm. about taking this and I wanted your opinion. I try and I try and be very transparent as well in terms of, like, Usually, I like setting up a Discord for my groups so we can just kind of talk and at least uh, figure out logistics and stuff like that as to or not whether or not people mm-hmm. are playing. But also, um, yeah, it can be good in terms of like having that line of communication so if people want to get a hold of you in the off week because um, they were starting to have thoughts realistically people don't always think about their characters when it's not like game day and that's totally cool though and that's Mm -hmm. okay yeah absolutely yeah i was just making a point that i i do like when people do that but i'm not going to expect that from everybody all of the time that would Um, probably be a bit silly maybe not again i think (laughs) for sure if you are yeah i think a situation where your players are a bit more serious first off what <laughs> second of off that's cool yeah <laughs> how yeah, did you make real. this happen like, congratulations yeah. every <laughs> give every, me your secrets every <laughs> group inevitably dissolves into like the players buying weird wondrous items and fucking around with them i'm going to power wash this <laughs> yeah, hotel sure. with our decanter of endless water <laughs> I'm going to open a sandwich shop using yeah, this alchemy jug. <laughs> yep, there's a uh, a classic meme where it's uh, you know how my campaign started, and it's uh, the Fellowship of the Ring right as they're getting ready to leave Rivendell, and then it's how my campaign ended, and it's a scene from Monty Python where they're running away from the rabbit. Yeah, uh, um, so. Yep. Entropy is the uni- is the <laughs> unifying force of all things, including the <laughs> It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Indeed. Anyway, um, kind of as a way to tie this all together, um, I would say that if you are a GM and you're going into a session zero, like gming is necessarily like it's creative yes but it's also a fundamental it's not maybe not fundamentally but it's often a very left-brained like sort of structural and analytic sort of deal it's like the more rational you can make it in your head the better off you'll be i think in a lot of ways so when it's time to prep for Mm -hmm. session zero like seriously write a syllabus go full first day of school on it like no i'm serious like (laughs) write down everything you want to talk about in session zero because especially if you're kind of new to gming or you haven't done it in a while or you're otherwise maybe you're playing with new people or otherwise in a situation where you might be a bit more nervous like if you try and wing it you're gonna forget shit 
period. That's what's going to happen. Absolutely. So write down every single thing. Um, take some time um, once you kind of have your thoughts organized and write down – maybe find, like, a journal or, like, n- informally jot down, like, everything you want to talk about as you think of it. I know Mike especially was talking about um, reading through, like, if you're using a prepared campaign, things you're going to want to talk about with a prepared campaign mm-hmm. as you re- – like – so you have a way to like write this down as it comes up and then once it's closer to time like compile all of that stuff and then organize it however you want to do it basically yeah yeah for sure um yeah and i i mean the uh, i think that kind of bringing that into a bit of a closing point um is Uh, obviously the main theme of a session zero should be communication um communication between the dm and the players with the players amongst themselves the players to the dm you know everybody's just kind of talking things out and laying it all out um for how the campaign is going to go essentially um so there are you know, we've talked about a lot of different uh, ideas and ways to do things. Um, something that I tried on our last session zero, I found a survey that's a specific like session zero survey. And I sort of handed that out to everybody uh, and had them fill that out in the process of um, making their characters and talking about the campaign as well. Um, and, you know, that's not something that you necessarily have to do. Um, by any means, but it, it can be a good idea as well to sort of get everyone's uh, ideas or input on a base set of topics. Um, and it was really helpful for me because we were we were running Descent to Avernus, but I knew, as I always do, that I'm going to build a campaign after the uh, published campaign as well. So I'm going to probably going to continue working with these characters afterwards. So if I can get some information on, you know, things, things that the players want to do, I can find ways to a incorporate those in the published campaign that we're going to do um, or in the um, sort of broader, less uh, structured campaign uh, and sessions that will follow after the published uh, adventure, we'll say. Word. That is a good one. Um, yeah, but you can kind of, you know, do, take it however you want, obviously. You don't have to be as so so formal as to actually hand out um, uh, uh, surveys to your players, but if you have maybe a series of questions that you want to run through or, you know, something like that, it can be much more of a free, free flowing conversation around all of those topics as well. For sure. Um, so just find, you know, what's going to work for you have some organization and make sure that you, if you're a DM that you're, you know, communicating all of your ideas as best as possible. And as in, in, a structured way or as much of one as you can provide in that setting. Um, and then if you're a player, make sure that you're open to that, open to communicating with the rest of the players and you're all kind of working together to figure out what this is going to be like, what this game, this campaign is going to be. For sure. No, it's about all about opening the gates of transparency. 
that it may flow freely through your table, that you may have fun while you're doing so. <laughs> yeah. That instead of the Doritos of sadness when you are at the table, you are consuming the Doritos of group fun. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> Do you want to try that again? No. <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 That's fine. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, but yeah, I guess in, in kind of closing, um, the, the key to all of this, uh, all of session zero is just communication. Um, and being open and remember to follow rule number one when you're communicating. So. Yeah, for sure. Always follow rule number one. Communicate and follow rule number one. For sure. All right. Well, this has been a fun, in-depth look at how to conduct a session zero as a player and as a DM or GM. Um, thank you, as always, for listening in. If you've made it this far, then congratulations, uh, but also why? Oh, don't sell and, us short. Uh, yeah, because like, yeah, you kick ass. That's why. <laughs> you shall ride into Elysium yeah. with us. Is that where we're going? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I, I, we just got out of hell, so yeah. who knows? Um, yeah, so, uh, but thanks for listening. We appreciate your uh, listening and your supporting of us. And um, if you are interested in uh, supporting us even further, it's always important that you leave a review, leave a like, um, however you want to boost uh, us and boost our signal as we're out here. Uh, we appreciate it greatly, and it helps us uh, grow this little show that we're doing. So, um, yeah. Um, also, a big shout out to um, my fiance, Hannah Miller, for editing all of these episodes together. Hannah, I love you. I'll see you in about 30 seconds. Um, yeah. yeah. And shout outs to Paul Mackey for writing the theme song. It's very Dio adjacent, and I love it. It's... It is the power of ballad uh, melody of our fantasies, of my fantasies, for right. sure. Right. If you want to reach out to us, uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at 19 hits the dragon. That's the number 19 hits the dragon. Oh God. I almost did it again. I almost did, almost it, did again. it again. What yeah. the shit? Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, if for those of you who weren't here for whatever episode I did that, um, <laughs> let's move on before we, 19 at 19 hits the dragon at, at 19 hits com. the dragon dot dot com. com. I don't even remember what you said right now. It was um, something like yeah, that. Though. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what it was. And but, God. uh, at, yeah, we're on Twitter at 19 yeah. hits the dragon. That's the number 19 <laughs> hits the dragon. You can also reach us via email. Um, at, uh, the email address is 19 hits the dragon. Again, that's the number 19 at gmail.com. You can also find us online at 19 hits the dragon. That's the word 19 um, dot podbean.com. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, we appreciate any and all feedback. Uh, if you use some of our tips in your session zero, let us know at either of those ways of communicating with us. Um, and we'll see you all next time for next episode. Right, bye bye. 
Bye-bye.